Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 3. Thread is God's Word tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry. It's the place for believers who want to maximize the impact of their lives on others. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians. Today's lesson covers chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, and answers the question of what you should count in the ministry to know whether you are succeeding or not. All right, Paul starts out this lesson by owning something that's a bit embarrassing to even talk about. He wants to talk about insecurity among people in ministry and the habit of boasting about results and how prevalent it is among those who are engaged in doing ministry. It's so weird, but there's this dark history within the Christian movement of boasting and rivalry among ministers and their organizations. You know, now we've got, what, 100,000 denominations out there. But imagine monks at war. You know, it seems comical, but there have been fistfights and much worse. Paul brings up this habit of boasting about your ministry before other people, being proud to announce some form of success that's connected to you. And, you know, I think it's pretty clear all this is about validation. Most pastors who have large crowds can't resist dropping the number in conversation with other ministers at some point. Uh, It's usually in a sly spiritual way, like the Lord is really blessing us. And, you know, we were able to break that thousand mark last Easter. You know, it gives us success. It gives us a form of validation. And we said in episode one that it's really hard for people in full-time ministry to get a handle on even their personal identity. They often don't know clear enough who they are in Christ. Some people are not all that clear about their own calling. Uh, They might not even be walking with God in such a personal way. And so they slip into these worldly ways of thinking and acting, um, even though they're in the service of God, and even though they're working in the kingdom. When I was in seminary, Charles Gherkin came to speak to us from Emory University, and he said something I've never forgotten. He said, the church is always seduced by the culture in which it is embedded. I thought there's so much truth in that. You know, it's really easy to let the world around us influence how we think about success, you know, even in the ministry. Well, if you're going to judge anything, if you're going to judge success in this strange ministry life especially, you're going to have to decide what to count because success is really, you know, it requires some externals that you can point to. So what are you going to count? So some people count the size of their crowd. You know, the apostles did that. They said, Lord, look, you know, we got thousands of people, huge crowds. This is awesome. And Jesus didn't count the crowd at all. So you could count the crowd. You know, you just mention, but but you'll only mention the number in your attendance if you feel good about that number. Uh, another thing you could count is the status level. You could talk about the status level of the kinds of people you're attracting something like we have some very wealthy people, um, even movie stars in our church. I remember in the Philippines, someone saying to me, Manny Pacquiao goes to that church. You know, and that made me think of another thing, which is when I hear the good news about a famous person following Christ, I always hope they're in the hands of a minister 
who has his or her self-esteem needs met already, so they don't need to validate themselves by parading their celebrity Christian in front of the cameras. I think all high-profile people should be instructed to avoid all interviews about being a Christian for at least one year and maybe two. Because if they don't, they just become this instant poster child for Christianity and they get tapped by Christian organizations to be their public spokesman and they really never have a chance to sink deep roots down and their faith just becomes another role that they play. So some people count status. They count celebrities as a huge sign of the personal success of their ministry. You could be more down to earth and just count results like number of people coming to the altar each week or number of churches planted or number of missionaries sent out. You could calculate the size and value of the properties and the buildings that you own. I mean, I know many church buildings that cost over $50 million to build. You can say, see, that's significant. I'm successful. You could count the size of your staff. I mean, if you have 70 people on staff, that's obviously more successful than seven. You could count money. You could count it as money received, or you could even count it as money given away, uh, how much money we give to whatever, missions or any other thing every year. Uh, size of your budget, you could count that. You could count the growth of the budget over time. You know, we're, we're becoming bigger financially as an operation. You could count the apparent impact of your good work on the lives of other people. I'm in the uh, nonprofit space and missionary work, and so this is a part of my life. You know, We have to validate that, one, we are really doing with people's money what we say we are, and, two, that it is working. Um, but, you know, it's tough to quantify some of these things. I had somebody just two weeks ago write me and ask me to help him book some churches to speak in in a foreign country. And he immediately went into this sales talk about all the healings and the miracles that happen when he visits a church. And so I guess you could also count miracles if you wanted to do that. You know, basically, there are a lot of things that you could look at and use them as some kind of scale to see how you're doing. And some of these seem honestly to be a legitimate way to take the pulse of your ministry and see whether it's really making a difference in the lives of the people or if you're, you know, you need to change the things you do. I know about all this because, like I said, I'm in perhaps the most spiritually dangerous career of all, which is self-funded full-time missionary. And raising funds is half my job because I'm the director of a nonprofit and I'm the one person responsible to raise the money for that nonprofit, and also I'm the person responsible to provide for my wife and children. And I am, in one sense, a professional religious person, a full-time good works doer. And so showing the impact of what we do is part of a reasonable reporting that we do need to provide to our donors. But the problem is, you, one problem is you're doing your own PR, and that is really dangerous. And secondly, you always need to show the positive side of what you're doing. And you really don't get much of a chance to share about all the struggles involved in this kind of work. Because a lot of times it really is, especially if you're doing stuff like rescue work, which we are marginally involved in uh, through partnerships with other ministries that do it every day. 
you know, a lot of that kind of work, uh, trying to pull girls out of a prostitution lifestyle. You know, it's two steps forward, one step back, and there's a lot of uh, well, failure. There's a lot of failure in a ministry like that because you're just dealing with such a naughty problem uh, to untie. So all these things. Ministry is not an easy thing to quantify. So in our passage today, Paul's effectiveness and even his legitimacy as an apostle is being questioned by a group of troublemakers who seem to crave the spotlight in the house church network that Paul and Timothy planted in Corinth. And since Paul's always traveling around planting new churches throughout the Middle East, those guys from Corinth are able to have lots of time and they just poison the minds of Paul's spiritual children. And the situation's grown to the point that he's not even sure he's welcome in his own church. You know, he planted that congregation and he's not sure he can even go back without it becoming a big problem. And part of the reason behind writing this letter is for Paul to defend himself. And as he's defending himself as a teacher, uh, he always takes the opportunity to teach the church what ministry is anyway and how to judge it properly. So let's, let's dive into our text today. Uh, Paul says in a nutshell, well, if I must be compared against other people who are in ministry and if I must boast against my critics boasting and if I did have to validate myself as a minister of God, I just want to focus on two things. Number one, how we have lived among you. Now, I think it's really amazing that Paul doesn't even want to boast about his results because, you know, he's he's the reason there's Western Christianity is a direct result of his personal tireless ministry efforts, the sacrifices he's been through and the massive results that he has seen churches planted all over uh, Turkey and uh, the Roman empire. And uh, he could crush those guys with a list like that, but he doesn't even bring it up. Instead, he wants to talk about his character he wants to talk about the manner and tone of his daily life among the people of God there in Corinth. Did he swagger with his authority? Did he demand to be pampered? Did he train them to treat the man of God like someone above them? Did he live lavishly on their donations? Did he treat people roughly? Did he consider himself to get special privileges because of his position? And it's really smart that Paul goes here with his focus because his opponents are fleshly people. Their mindset and their value system is exactly that of the world. And what they cannot fake for long is an authentic Christ-like spirituality, especially servanthood, because that runs opposite to their whole reason for becoming religious leaders in the first place, because they love the spotlight, the authority, the the attention of other people, the perks, giving themselves special privileges. They live for that. And so Paul just cuts their legs out with that. He mentions four characteristics. And he says, not only am I like this, but my entire team has manifested this kind of life in their unguarded daily lives among the Corinthian people. Verse 12, he says, number one, simplicity. How did we live among you? We live simply. Uh, what I am, in other words, is plain. What I say is simple to understand. I have stripped away 
all the trappings of success and wealth and status and sophistication. And I and my team live simply among God's people. We want you to come close to us. We want you to understand us. We want you to know us. You know, we're, we're transparent. We want you to understand and know us as people. A second thing he says about his character, he says, godly sincerity. And that word sincere in the Greek means unmixed. Uh, it's used, It's actually a word taken from bartending. Um, like uh, a, a guy who owns an inn would have a big barrel of really good wine, very rich, very deep taste. And so he would calculate, you know, I could water this down. And if I'd water this down, it'll go farther and I can make more money. So Paul says, we don't do stuff like that. We live with godly sincerity. We do not mix the word of God with anything else. We do not water down the word of God. We don't just talk about the positive things, you know, the things that we know everybody would love. We talk seriously about everything in the word. We bring them God's word. We don't mix it and we don't water it down. And, you know, the the other part of mixing in ministry is uh, what are pretty obvious for me, conflicts of interest. For example, uh, pastors, elders, and church leaders who are doing multi-level marketing uh, businesses with church people. And you've got this situation where they trust you because you're spiritual. They look up to you because you're in the Lord. And now you've used your spiritual authority in their lives to make money for yourself with this business thing you've got going on the side. And now God's people become for you, you know, your downline. I'll never forget when a notable multi-level that uses the church all the time uh, moved into the Philippines. And I had this very successful looking lady show up in our, at that time, thousand member church. Let me see how I dropped that in there. Um, and so she came up to me after the service and she said, oh, pastor, so wonderful. So, so very wonderful. I'm just so blessed by being here. I said, well, you know, I'm glad, glad you enjoyed it. And she said, actually, I have something I want to talk to you about. It's a big opportunity for you and for your people. And then she said the name of her company and then she went right into her sales pitch. You know, if you would, and she used these words exactly, if you would give me your people, you become my direct downline and you can make this and this and this. And I just cut her off and I said, okay, look at me, look at me in the eyes and I want you to listen to me. Leave this church and don't come back because I'm the gatekeeper of God's people. And she was not there to serve the Lord. She was going to use God's people. And as the scripture says, in the last days, they will make merchandise out of you. So Paul's saying, I didn't do stuff like that. You know, I'm there with godly sincerity. My interest in you is about you. You know, you're the center of my ministry. I'm there to build you up. I don't have these other motives for the things I do. I'm not trying to give my, you know, there's a lot of nepotism. That's a bigger subject. But there's a lot of nepotism in in churches. And part of it is a positive kind of thing where, you know, you're a ministering family. And so, of course, your kids want to follow you and you'd love to see them follow you. And who could become a better next generation minister than somebody raised in the home of a godly minister and they live it? And, I mean, they really are being trained from birth 
to take up that mantle and serve God's people and and build you know build the body of Christ. So, on the one hand, I have nothing but wonderful feelings about uh, children following their parents into ministry. I, I'm very happy when my kids begin to do ministry of any kind in whatever role they're at, and we have some of our kids that are have joined us in full time ministry. So I'm not against that. I'm just saying, you know, there are ways that you end up creating paid jobs for people that matter to you. And they're not always the right person for the church. And you got these mixed things going on is what I'm saying. You get some some people and there's there's the power to do that because you are largely in charge of the finances of your ministries um, as the leader. And so you just have to always watch yourself. And Paul says, we didn't do any of that stuff. You know, we were sincere before God when we interacted with you. Third thing Paul said about the manner of living, he said, we resisted the world's corrupt ways of thinking and judging. We did not drag worldly, worldly ways of thinking into our ministry. Um, uh, I was trying to avoid this, but I think I'm going to go ahead and say it. Um, I was in radio ministry before, and we dealt with large international radio and TV ministries. And I, I've, I was new to it, and I was not prepared for what was going to happen. So as we sat down and we started negotiating, you know, would you put your broadcast on our station? And we would tell them about, you know, we have 15 million people in Metro Manila and they need the gospel. And the first in the first sentence, the only thing they wanted to talk about was ROI, return on investment. They don't mean investment in souls. This is a completely business way of looking at uh, even Christian media ministry. So if I'm if I'm renting space on your station and I'm giving you X amount of money for the broadcast, you've got to it has to be a station where the donations from the people who are listening will be X times more than what I'm putting in. That makes it a good investment. And so they will pull from a market that isn't giving them enough money. They will double down on a market that's really pumping money back in. And it's just a completely money-based system of deciding where they will be on radio and on TV. Uh, I think that it's, it's, it's a world's worldly way of thinking. Uh, yes, it makes some of them $100 million a year ministries. But anyhow, um, it just drags other ways of thinking that Jesus never used and that the apostles did not use into church work. Final thing Paul says about moving among people, he said, we poured out God's grace on you. you know, that's what we lived to do. We poured out God's grace on you. And then Paul says, and okay, if there's a second thing I have to brag about besides how we lived, um, he says, it's you. Verse 14. He's so proud of how big and strong they are. And he knows that he and his team have had a hand in making that happen. He says he not only brags on them, but here in the world, but on the day of judgment, he'll brag on them again. And I can completely understand this point from Paul. Uh, we had been serving at the seminary in Manila for 12 years when I was asked to take over as president. And it was a new experience for me in many ways, most notably because I was inheriting the work of other people. And pretty much everything we've ever led in our lifetime, we've also founded. 
But in the seminary, we were inheriting a large operation that took 30 years to build. And I felt that things there were in need of some pretty radical modernization. And I was getting busy with my plans. And I had a conversation with some dear friends. And they relayed to me the wise words of their pastor. And these are the words he said to them when they began their own career as church planners. He said this, Remember, anything you build organizationally can be destroyed in six months by your successor. But the work you do in the lives of your people can never be erased, even by death itself. I'm going to say it again. Remember, anything you build organizationally can be destroyed in six months by your successor. But the work you do in the lives of your people can never be erased, even by death itself. And man, that story rang true with our experience of life. And we determined we would always keep our focus on what we came to call building big people. We would just use the challenge, in that case, advancing a seminary or in our church, planting new churches or launching new training and media initiatives, whatever the challenge was organizationally, we just use that as an environment in which to build up big people, build their skills, their character, their confidence, their spiritual depth, so that the result of this focus would not necessarily be big institutions, but would be the confidence that we have released into the world hundreds and hundreds of men and women who are strong and ready for the things that the Lord has for them to do. I met a pastor once who said, it is my goal that 10% of my church will leave every year. And I looked at him, he said, to start new things, that I will do such a good job of raising people up that God will need these people and he will tap the people that I help produce and they will, um, you know, they'll go on to do amazing things for him. That's a kingdom mindset. Um, you know, when you've thoroughly trained somebody and you pour your life into it, there's a, there's a confidence that comes into them from being well-trained. You can see it even in the bearing of a 20-year-old when he comes out of army boot camp on his first home leave. You know, he just holds himself differently because he's been well-trained. So on my case, if I had to answer for our ministry to our supporters and they said, prove you've been worth supporting for these 30 years, I would just point to our inner circle and to all the people that have graduated from our informal and formal uh, training and mentoring. You know, this year, even as a ministry of Media Light, we're leveraging the priceless asset of having over 100 graduates from 40 different nations. And we and our very dedicated Medialite staff are working with some of our graduates to help them launch their own independent training programs. Uh, this year, we're working on programs in Vietnam, India, the Philippines, Ethiopia, and God willing, Italy. Now, this is only possible because we have graduates who are strong enough to lead. And also because we've developed a core staff that have such high competence in building big people. And every year our staff grows bigger and every year we grow in our ability to do things. So Paul says to his critic, I admit we all need validation. You know, we all need some kind of objective standards against which to measure ourselves. So here's mine. 
It's not the money, the crowd size, the miles traveled, the converts made, or any other thing you might want to count. The proof of my ministry is not in tallying the volume or size of my work. Think about that. That's so liberating. But Paul says, next, I will boast in the way I live my life every day among God's people. And I will boast in the equally high standard of of those on my team. They live to the same rule that I live to. We live like servants of the Lord. And we have the welfare of God's people foremost in our mind. Secondly, Paul says, I will boast about big people. Big people that flow out from any place where me and my team are allowed to do our work for a good while. People just grow when we're around them, and I feel very good about that. So I just think Paul is pointing us to a very important thing as we all look to evaluate, you know, am I doing well, am I not doing well? Don't count worldly things. I mean, do good, do good plan and strategize and critique your ministry and make sure you are being effective. But when you're trying to decide if you are personally succeeding in ministry, Paul says, look at your lifestyle and that of your team. Look at what happens when you minister. Do you develop big people? If you're not developing big people, change what you do. Change your focus. Quit worrying about, you know, building the greatest church ever. Try to build the greatest church ever, but it's not your goal. Build your team. And together, work to build a great church. In the end, I can't say what's going to, you know, things don't always last. They go through cycles. But the people last. And the people go on to do other things uh, even when you're gone from this earth. So it's a really important way to look at ministry. So that's Paul's take on how to know if you're a success in the ministry. The life that you manage to live over time and the champions you raise up by intervening in their lives. That's food for thought. That's all for now. I hope you're enjoying the Thread Podcast. Please share it with your friends. And also, uh, check out MediaLightOnline.com. We've got online courses we've been developing for the past year. And these courses will help you find God's will and grow personally, spiritually, and in your leadership. And we really want to work with you to improve your communication skills by 10x. Uh, You're the light of the world, so keep shining on it.